0: Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by GrowMark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies so you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: We saw a mostly mixed day across commodities on the day on Tuesday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net coming up here in segment two and three today. Also, take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture at the end of the show, including an EPA hearing on Tuesday about the renewable fuel standard. We'll get to that and more coming up. First up, though, kicking off the show, we're talking New Year's Resolutions for farmers and their business goals. We're talking now with Devon Cook of Pinion Global. Devon, thanks for joining us today. Hope you're doing well. Welcome onto the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, I thought this was a very timely topic here as we start off a new year thinking about those New Year's resolutions on the farm and looking hard at our business. And, you know, I know it's a busy time as farmers are thinking about their taxes and getting things prepared and talking with their CPAs, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also it feels like a good time to kind of sit down and really Take a look at that business, look at your business model and just and see where things stand here as we enter into a new calendar year, isn't it? It's just a good time of year to do that.
1: Yes it is. And you know, there's certainly plenty of conversation going on around a lot of the the cost and and value drivers of the business right now. We're talking a lot about what's going to happen with crop prices or interest rates and inflation. And I don't at all mean to minimize those because I know those are really important for your business as well as tax planning with your accountant. But um, I'm encouraging folks as it, and when they're at this stage of kind of New Year's resolutions is to think about what are some of the longer term questions that maybe you kick, down, kick the can down the road sometimes? What are longer term big picture kind of structural questions for your business that don't make the list every day because they're not necessarily time urgent every day. You get caught up with the stuff that you have to get done to keep the business going, but sometimes those long-term things can creep up on you.
0: Well, I would think with structure, I I know that's a topic that I I feel like is something you mentioned maybe gets kicked down the road too much, whether you're in an LLC, you want to look at a C-Corp or an S-Corp or whatever the case is. I know there's a lot of different ways that a, a farm can be structured and sometimes You know, sometimes in some cases, farmers don't know what structure would be best for their operation either sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I think we use the word structure in a lot of different contexts. So first, let me address the one you brought up of just, you know, from a taxation standpoint and, and maximizing tax benefits and minimizing tax costs. Um, You know, there can be some pros and cons of whether you're an LLC or an S Corp or C Corp. And so I'd very much encourage you to be, you know, always be having that conversation with your accountant and in some cases attorney as well. Um, But when I talk about structure, it's even, Um, To me, a lot of the work I do is helping families or partnerships groups set up transitions, whether they're transitions today, as in bringing in a new partner, or maybe they're planning for estate plans and, and long term transitions at death. And so, you know, those are topics that you tend to tackle at a moment in time and then. The papers got signed and we put it in a binder on the shelf and we don't think about it again. So I'm trying to remind folks around, hey, you might have negotiated a buy-sell agreement maybe 10 years ago when you set up your latest LLC with a partner, whether that's a family member or not. And you know, decisions you made 10 years ago made a lot of sense then. But in the meantime, your business has grown in size by three times. And maybe maybe you bought life insurance to prepare for a buyout in case somebody died. Well, the values you bought at 10 years ago may not be anywhere near enough to cover the, the transaction today. And so it's dusting those things off and, and just kind of doing a checkup to say, do they still work for today? And then beyond even you know, financial aspect of that of can you still fund the buyout the way you thought you could? Other things that often change in the meantime are, you know, people come and go or even your desires to be in partnership long-term with the same group of people may have changed. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it has a little bit of stigma to think about, to talk about, you know, is the partnership structure we're in today still still what we want to be working towards over the next 10 years. And so if you need to have some of those tough conversations, again, whether it's with family or with non-family, those are important. And it's a can, you know, that really jumps up and cuts you (laughs) someday Mm -hmm. down the road if you haven't dealt with it.
0: Succession planning is always a, a topic of discussion, uh, especially especially amongst family members. I know that could be a challenging, tough discussion, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm. So always good to kind of bring that up and revisit it uh, here. And, and this is as good a time of any to do that. What are some ways that folks can reach out for assistance when they're looking at different things, like with their structure, looking at succession planning, looking at past business plans, et cetera? What are some different things that folks could do to try and find some assistance at helping to make any new decisions?
1: Sure. I think there's a few different places to, to look to, for assistance. First one, obviously, is professional advisors, and we, we at Pinion would love to help you with that. Um, we are an accounting and financial consulting firm, but we also handle the softer side of the equation. And in fact, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is facil- facilitating families through some of those more awkward or tough conversations that they've been avoiding. Um, so your professional advisory team, whether that's us or someone else, is, is certainly folks that you want to have in the mix anytime you're considering big changes to the business. In addition to that, um, sometimes you can really learn a lot from peers and their experiences. So I encourage people to think about um, how are you putting a network of folks around you that bring you new ideas and support you? Uh, we run a number of peer executive education groups um, that are really great venues for you to, I say you learn from your peers and you learn with your peers, meaning some of the content of those meetings is internal sharing with each other. And some of it is that we bring really good expertise to the table. And along the same lines, we also have a number of farms and livestock operations that are considering using an advisory board where they set up, You know, it may not be an official board of directors in the sense of their voting and making fiduciary decisions, but you might set up um, intentionally getting two or three people from outside of your normal conversation range, I mean, people that you're, you're not talking to every day anyway, and bringing in them in two or three times a year to really have a focused conversation on some strategic topics for your business. So all of those I see as ways to, to bring outside input and expertise and other people's experiences to, to bear fruit for yourself.
0: Well, I know you mentioned as well that Pinion able to help folks with a lot of these questions and just help out with some of this planning. And I'm sure a great place to start, pinionglobal.com would be a, one great way to really get in touch with uh, you and the team there at Pinion to talk about some of these things, isn't it?
1: Yes, we'd love to have a conversation with you. We we kind of talk about we're doing pretty much everything for production ag except agronomy and equipment. We don't necessarily have tons of expertise in those technical aspects of your farm, but anything else on the financial or even human capital management side of it, we we sure like to to work with farms and livestock operations all across the country.
0: Well, Devon, before I let you go, any final thoughts you have for us today?
1: Yeah, I've got a I've got a pithy quote for you. Someday is not a day of the week. So whenever you're scheduling to get to this tough challenge or spend time on this project, someday, that's not a day of the week. So get it on a calendar for a day of the week and stop kicking the can down the road
0: well i love that and we will wrap it up there with that devon cook with pinion global appreciate the time thanks so much for joining us today and we'll hopefully get you back on the show again real soon thanks have a good day all right coming up next we'll talk markets with matt bennett of agmarket.net back with more market talk on the way right after this
1: market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen
0: And taking a look at Tuesday's market trade, a little bit to talk about. We saw wheat under some pressure, quarter beans were relatively quiet. We saw a decent day in cattle. Uh, Just a lot to unpack here as we prepare for Thursday's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report. Joining us now, we welcome in our good friend Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. And Matt, uh, happy new year to you, buddy. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for being on the show today.
2: Absolutely, bud. Same to you. Glad to be here.
0: Well, let's dive in and I think just thousand foot view to start before we really get into talking about the WASD coming up on Thursday and more. You know, I alluded to some of the moves we saw in the market Tuesday. To me, it kind of feels like we're we're chopping a little bit, squaring positions a little bit, seeing some moves one way or another with the dollar higher, lower, etc. Thousand foot view as you look at this market here after the rough week last week and then coming into a bit of a quieter week this week. What's your assessment of what we've seen so far, Matt?
2: Yeah, I think whenever it gets right down to it, we've, you know, we lost some ground since the first year, especially with corn. Uh, but let's be uh, frank about it. You know, going into the end of the year, we actually rallied corn and beans, rallied mm-hmm. healthily. Uh, and whenever you look at no beans, July beans, and these corn, as of Jan one or the calendar turn is the highest prices we'd ever seen for those three. As far as July corn is the third highest we'd ever seen, but within about 10 to 15 cents. And so, you know, in essence uh, for this time of year, you had the highest prices we've ever seen. And so uh, it's bound to happen that the funds would come in uh, probably do a little bit of rebalancing as long as the uh, current trends didn't change too much. And, you know, let's face it, this Argentine situation you know, we know they're hot and dry. We know that we, there's probably been some damage there, uh, but the forecast seems to change every day. You know, mm-hmm. you look up today and all of a sudden the noon forecast down there is that uh, you're going to see uh, continued heat, whereas yesterday – uh, you know, they're talking about rain. And so, uh, you know, it's an old fashioned weather market. It's just on a different side of the globe right now. But, you know, I think that uh thousand foot view for me, it just seems like the markets are maybe a touch heavy. Uh, and I think a lot of that is just, you know, people are a little nervous about this report. January report has a tendency to really swing things. And from, from a farmer's perspective, you know, you've got to ask yourself uh, the swing higher, is it going to hurt you? Probably not. Swing lower, it could hurt, especially given what we put into this crop this year.
0: Well, and I, I'm glad you you set it up that way as well, because I think about that rally we had through the holidays, and then we, we essentially gave it all back, and we're kind of sitting right now about where we were before the rally started. So going into this January report, I, I think it begs the question, if I'm a producer here, new calendar year, I know there's been some farmers selling, maybe haven't done quite a, a whole lot yet, but you want to protect yourself. It, it seems like it seems like a no-brainer to try and protect some of these levels here, heading into what you mentioned is typically a very big and can be a very market-moving report.
2: Oh, absolutely! And so, you know, what do you what do you do as a producer whenever you know your break-even is, for instance, uh, five to five twenty, maybe as far as new crop corn is concerned. Beans, actually, a lot of the break-evens we've seen eleven to. 1150, you know, which uh, there's a lot more meat on the bone as far as soybeans are concerned with a lot of pr- producers we're looking at. You know, I think with corn, a lot of these folks, uh, including myself, you know, we're, we're going for the gold and we know that inputs are expensive. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't cut too much. A lot, most people had cash in their pocket. And so they really didn't feel like, uh, uh, they wanted to cut, uh, too much as far as that was concerned. But, you know, whenever you look at it, man, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's a little bit complicated because. The last couple of years, we've been so profitable that, in my opinion, it's got us a bit distorted. Uh, maybe we're not thinking as clearly as what we would uh, like to, um, you know, and, and I'm not trying to stereotype because I do the same thing. You know, if you if you made two, three, four, five hundred bucks an acre in twenty two and I know there was folks that did. If that's the case, and you're looking at $150 type of net profit right now at average yields, a lot of people are snubbing their nose at it. But I'll tell you what, it makes me a little concerned, a little nervous to do that type of thing, especially when I look historically back at years like 15 through 19. I'll tell you what, we'd have given anything for 150 bucks an a net profit
0: hmm. That's a great, great point. I, I want to talk a little bit about this report as well, just to kind of set this up. I know uh, agmarket.net, you guys uh, released some of your estimates ahead of that. I'm going to pull them up on the video screen. And you guys, uh, of course, a division of John Stewart Associates, if you see that on the video screen on, on the uh, PDFs that you guys sent out. But l- let's just talk through these estimates and your feelings here heading into this report. I know quarterly stocks up first. What are your thoughts uh, there, Matt? You know, we we kind of
2: felt like as far as quarterly stocks were concerned and I'll tell you Jesse it's probably the hardest one especially with corn and beans to be able to forecast. You know, it's the first quarter of the year you don't know exactly what total production is. That's what USDA is going to come at us with uh, tomorrow. So uh, you know what they said in November, uh, you know what acreage was, and you know what yield was, but it, it's a tough one to to forecast. And so, you know, we felt like quarterly stocks would come in, as you see, kind of right in the middle of the range of guesses. But one thing I want to point out on corn, Jesse, is that your range of guesses is 10.7 up to 11.9. I mean, that's a huge range of guesses, 1.2 billion. I mean, that's the carryout right now. So it's just an incredible disparity there. And you can tell how much people struggle with trying to figure out uh, where this number might come in, because we do know uh, several things. Demand has been impacted. We know that. Now, does that mean the USDA is going to come in and just slash the heck out of demand? Eh, not necessarily, because we're early in the year you know, and they can make all kinds of assumptions as to how things are going to happen uh, throughout the rest of this marketing year. But uh, the bottom line is demand has been impacted by high prices because high prices cure high prices. We know that it just, it's just the way things work. And so it's going to be very interesting as we come in here to not only get, you know, final yield, but to see what these carryouts look like, because
0: this is where the rubber hits the road,
2: you know, mm-hmm. is, is, uh, uh, what are stocks, you know, what, what are, what's the carryout going to be for this marketing year? It's going to be very interesting.
0: Going to be very interesting. It seems like a lot of folks casting a wide net here just to try and get some answers. Let's pull up as well, uh, quartered soybean crops production, winter wheat seedings, uh, another part of the equation we're going to see coming up here on Thursday. What are your thoughts with, with some of these numbers that agmarket.net's put out for the uh, pre-report estimates? Yeah, so,
2: you know, we kind of felt like yield was going to come up a little bit, quite frankly. You know, here's the thing. Uh, You went down in September and October, as far as USDA was concerned. They scaled back yield on both corn and beans, and then all of a sudden in November – you actually saw an uptick in yield for both corn and beans, and so typically, when you see the trend shift like that in the month of November, uh, historically, you'll see a continuation of that. Uh, not every year, but there, there's certainly been a correlation there that you would see the uh, that trend continue. So, uh, could we see a further uptick in yield? I think it's certainly possible. Is it going to be anything massive? I mean, looking at basis levels throughout the country, it's hard for me to believe that it would be anything. You know, extravagant, uh, but by all means, we feel like you'll 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 see yield pop up a little bit for both corn and beans, carryouts a little bit as well. But we don't look for, for instance, uh, uh, you know, our, our carry to to get extravagantly larger. Um, you know, if it's a 100, 150, I think that um, it's something that you know, on corn you know, I, I think it's, it's digestible. I think the trade has kind of tipped the cap over the last several days that maybe that's the way they're leaning. Uh, but at the same time, um, you got to understand that uh, you're still at an extremely tight, tight level
0: on the winter wheat side. I wonder your thoughts on this. If we see a high winter wheat seedings number, I wonder what that could do for the acre battle going into the spring, Matt. Yeah,
2: I mean, if you see uh, high winter uh, seedings, I guess it'd be hard to argue with, you know, over the last uh, several months you've seen awfully strong wheat prices. I mean, it's no secret that, you know, a lot of these folks that are doing double crop soybeans after winter wheat have just absolutely cleaned house as far as profit margins have been concerned. And so in that part of the world, me and South, you know, and you can draw a line over West and there's still several folks that do things like this. uh, I think that wheat seedings actually were pretty strong. And so, you know, uh, what's it going to do for the corn and soybean acreage? And, you know, others like, for instance, cotton, you know, I think that some folks have some work to do. I feel like beans have been Uh, trying to buy acres over the last, or, you know, actually since the first of the year, but, uh, you know, towards the end of the calendar year, uh, obviously, great uh, market move there. Uh, But corn hasn't performed as well as what soybeans have. And I've got to think that uh, there's a lot of folks looking at this as an opportunity for beans to maybe pick up some acreage. Uh, Does it have anything to do with renewable diesel? You know, maybe not on the surface, but I do think there's an underpinning there. And I I think Mm -hmm. that uh, moving forward, uh, you're going to see a heck of a lot more enthusiasm as you move into like a 2024. And I've got to think that there's, there's some of that support already present.
0: Well, on a real quick addition to my first thought there, if we see a higher winter wheat seedings number, with the drought issues that we have in the central and southern plains could that have any potential impact if we see oh man we got a a higher number but that crop's in poor condition i I wonder if that would do anything at all matt
2: yeah it's it's certainly possible that you could see some abandonment there's no doubt that it could maybe throw a few acres back into the mix you know but the thing is uh we've seen a shift other than really kansas down into texas Uh, A good chunk of this Western Corn Belt has healed up over the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, It's nice to see all the rainfall out in uh, California. I know it's it's wreaking some havoc, so you hate to see that. But at the same time, you know, hearing some of these reservoirs or lakes come up 60 to 100 feet, you know, you're probably looking at a better weather pattern uh, moving forward. So hopefully Kansas and Texas uh, panhandle area be able to participate in that. And if they can, you know, by all means, I think that uh, you could be looking at a lot better wheat crop than what we thought going into dormancy. But by uh, at the same time, you know, that crop didn't really look very good going into dormancy. I think it was one of the worst rated crops we'd ever seen uh, as you went into that time frame.
0: And again, we're having a conversation with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net here today. We're going to continue that conversation, go over a few more of their pre-report estimates coming up here after the break. A few of the closes on the day, Tuesday, March quarter, up two and a quarter, 655. July corn up three quarters, 648. New crop, December corn. Down 1, 5.89 and a quarter. March beans down 3.5, 14.85. July beans down 4 at a quarter, 14.91 and a half. New crop November beans were down 1 at a quarter, 13.90 and a half. March soybean meal down $1.40 a ton, $468.90. March meat oil down 78 6257 We'll take a look at wheat, limestock, and a few other closing numbers coming up here and continue our conversation with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net right after the break. Back with more market talk on the way right after this.
3: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information
1: keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk.
3: Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Jesse Allen here with you. Matt Bennett of AgMarket.net is with us as well. We'll get back to our conversation with Matt in a second. want we'll to look at some of the other closing numbers from Tuesday. Wheat, Chicago wheat, March down 10.5, 731. July, Chicago wheat down 11, 744 to quarter. March, Kansas City wheat down 16 to three quarters, 811 to three quarters. July was down 15 to three quarters, 806 to three quarters. Spring wheat for March down 7.5, 894 to half. July down 4 to half, 888 and a quarter. March oats up up to 341. Canola for March down 17 uh, at 841.60. Looking over at livestock trade, live cattle for February unchanged, 157.75. April up 12, 161.65. June live cattle up 5, 157.50. Feeder cattle January up 67, 184.30. Feeder cattle for April down 10 19052, February hogs down a dollar 7980, April hogs down 1278952 and June hogs down 11510530. That's the closing numbers from Tuesday's trade action. Matt Bennett, agmarket.net, is our guest here today on the show. We're continuing to talk about the uh, estimates ahead of the WASDE report and quarterly grain stocks on Thursday. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of these charts, just looking at ending stocks. And I know we touched on this a little bit already, but as you alluded to with the corn number, the pre-report estimates, and looking at the current carryout, I, I mean, some of these numbers, I feel like with USDA coming up on Thursday, there's going to be surprises. There typically is. And and I feel like this year I'm starting to get that gut feeling that there's going to be more than maybe folks expect.
2: Yeah. And so I would say this, Jesse, if I had to make a guess uh, where the surprise might come from, I think you could certainly make a case that it would be for more corn stocks. You know, you came in at one, two, five, seven uh, in the month of December, as far as USDA was concerned, you know, but we kind of expect a little bit of an uptick in yield, I don't want to argue with a drop in demand. I think the USDA might be slow uh, to kind of move in that direction. Yeah, ethanol numbers have been horrible the last two weeks, especially this last week. Uh, Exports, as we all know, have underperformed. But still, there is opportunity. I think maybe the prime time for exports is ahead of us. Uh, being that Brazil will not have a ton of corn to be able to put out on that export market. And we all know uh, Black Sea region has not uh, you know, been putting enough out there to satisfy all your world buyers by any stretch of the imagination. So you know, I've got to think that we've got the opportunity to heal up somewhat. I don't know that we're going to hit the USDA number, uh, but I think we'll heal up to an extent. If they were going to drop uh, demand, I think it's probably going to be on the export side of things. You know, this residual number is always impossible to guess, but um, mm-hmm. there could be some movement there too. So, you know, if you came in above that highest estimate at 1.405, uh, uh, it wouldn't shock me. You know, yeah, we came in at 1314. That was our best guess given the information we had. But, Jesse, this is a hard number to come up with. You know, there's a lot of moving parts here. It's, a, it's the toughest report, really, to submit estimates for. And, uh, again, there's going to be surprises. surprise. I agree with you. I just wish I knew what they were going to be.
0: <laughs> I think we all do. Well, and, too, we've alluded to South America. And just looking at these numbers here, the last bit of numbers that you guys uh, released with agmarket.net. And, and again, my intention really goes to Argentina. I think with Brazil, I think we all know that despite some dryness in the south, brazil's looking really good it's going to come down to argentina at this point and that just seems to be the the biggest concern of the trade right now
2: certainly and so if it's an argentina issue you know the, there's no doubt that the issue has more to do with really with soybean meal than what it does does soybeans uh mm-hmm. the thing about it is that argentina you know they'll put out 50% or more of the world's soybean meal out on the world export market you know and so whenever you look um Uh, you're going to see more production of soybeans out of the Southern Hemisphere, almost certainly. And it could be by a fair amount. And I'm talking whole soybeans, of course. Uh, But you look over here and and, and today you close, you know, uh, uh, soybean meal on on your lead month futures uh, January there. I mean, 500 bucks still. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just an incredible deal. Uh, But you look at soybeans and, you know, maybe you're not going to participate as much. Uh, But I will say this. Typically, whenever you're in a stocks building situation in the world, and that's what it appears we're going to be, uh, go from that 90 type area to maybe uh, pushing 100, because I do think that's going to come down. We were over 100 last month. If if you are building stocks in the world due to the fact that you've got a bigger overall crop in South America, uh, that's not typically the situation where you see market prices rally. So we have to understand kind of how these things work. Yes, there's excitement with Argentina. It's given us a real shot in the arm. And that's a shot in the arm we should be thankful for in my opinion, rather than looking at it as, you know, what more can we get out of it?
0: Well, plenty of unknowns, plenty of things to watch for with the January numbers coming up on Thursday. Matt, let's move over to livestock and talk about what we're seeing cattle and hog-wise. This hog market, uh, I don't know what we could say there, Matt. It's just been so, so volatile here as of late, end of the year, beginning of this year. Any thoughts of what you're seeing in this hog trade right now? comes down
2: to China, essentially, you know, it, 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 what, mm-hmm. what's their economy going to do, first of all, yeah. um, and we all know that there's a lot of question marks there. Uh, we know that they consume a ton of pork. Uh, and the bottom line is, if, if the Chinese economy is healthy, it's pretty hard to get down on the pork situation. You know, you've got to think this hog market would stay uh, fairly strong. Uh, uh, if Their economy look good. It just doesn't right now. And again, there's too many question marks. I think that the uh, China situation and the exports are going to have to both be strong, you know, to support triple digit type hog prices. You've got them on the, uh, on the deferred months, but certainly uh, your front month has just absolutely gotten beaten with a, a ugly stick here over the last couple of weeks. It's just been brutal, but uh, you know, I would think maybe we would get some support uh, out of the cattle side of the things uh, because protein and whole, in my opinion, is still a very strong uh, market. I, I still am very friendly cattle prices on further out, that's uh, you know assuming that equities hold constant, but uh, uh, I, I just really struggle to get down on these cattle prices. Uh, numbers are going to continue to dwindle, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to be in a situation where if people's consumption stays relatively static, then I'll tell you what, you could be looking at a really interesting uh, cattle situation here in 23, especially when you get farther out into the year.
0: Well, and with the cash cattle trade, I know last week was maybe a little disappointing, but it sounds like there's plenty of optimism this week that we're going to see higher cash once again. And just, you know, I, I know the futures trade was okay on Tuesday, but you look out, especially at feeders, uh, you know, summer months over 200 bucks. I mean, I'm with you. There's there still just feels like a lot of optimism in this cattle market cash market still feels very robust there just feels like there's a lot of good upward momentum here
2: absolutely absolutely now with that being the case i think everybody's leaning that way so maybe we ought to be a little bit cautious but i would say Mm -hmm. if you wanted to paint a picture of a bullish situation fundamentally for cattle you've got all the ingredients you need it's just a matter of can this economy hold together do people still want to go out and spend 150 bucks on, you know, you and your wife or you and your husband going out to eat a steak dinner? Because let's face it, it's, you throw a couple of drinks in there and all of a sudden you're at $200. I mean, it's expensive to go out and eat a good steak, but we all like to do it. And, and the consumer enjoys that. And as long as they feel good about their situation, they're going to continue doing that. And that's going to be at a time whenever there's less beef available
0: very true and you mentioned the economy i know fed chair powell spoke on tuesday saying unpopular decisions needed to bring down inflation so it seems uh, from that quote at least or that little bullet point to me that the fed's still very much in on the you know interest rate hikes to try and tame inflation how much how much more they're going to move up it remains to be seen but to your point as well, I, I still think the economy is going to be a big thing to watch. And crude oil, too, still feels like kind of a canary uh, in the coal mine here for these markets overall, Matt.
2: Oh, no doubt about it. And so crude, you know, we've seems like we want to make a run at 70 and then we want to make a run at 80. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, this crude oil market's been kind of hard to figure out. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, overall, you still have some strength probably there. I've got to think, you know, ultimately OPEC might end up doing something if they feel like uh, – uh, they're not going to raise prices so high that people are actually going to go to Russia and buy oil. I, I just think there's a lot going on there. Uh, they kind of want to stick it to them. Uh, it, it sure seems to me, at least part of it. Uh, but you know, I mean, today you come in here and you rally the dollar a little bit, you know, and, and crude oil was still able to close higher or, or, or as higher as you and I talk pretty good sign actually. So, uh, you know, I think that, uh, energies, uh, uh, it'd be very interesting to see how energies perform moving forward. I don't, I don't want to put any uh, predictions out there cause it's, it's really hard to figure it out. Uh, but mm-hmm. one thing's for sure. If we do see energy stay strong and stay supported, it's going to be very supportive towards our ag commodities as well.
0: Very true. Matt, any final thoughts real quick before we uh, let you go today? No,
2: you know, um, just uh, got to keep our wits about us. This report's probably going to be an emotional type day. It could be a, a wild ride. And, uh, you know, if it goes higher, once again, I don't think anybody's going to care. We're all going to go home and have a good time and, and smile. If it's down, uh, I hope you have some sort of a plan to where you can sleep good on Thursday night, because uh, we've had every opportunity
0: in the world to have risk management put in place. We have. If folks need uh, some advice, they have questions, they want to reach out to you and the team there at agmarket.net. I know you guys have a lot of great resources, online app, phone call, a lot of great ways to get in touch, isn't there, Matt? Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. You can find us pretty easily. Just Google us, if nothing else.
0: (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Agmarket.net, again, is the website. With that, Matt Bennett, thanks for joining us today. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Same to you, bud. All right, coming up next, we'll take a look at news headlines before we wrap it up here on Market Talk. Back with more after the break.
1: The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen.
0: And Welcome back to the show. Thanks again to our guest analyst, Matt Bennett of agmarket.net with a look at the markets here on the show today, as well as our guest earlier in the show, Devon Cook with Pinion Global, talking about those New Year's resolutions on the farm when it comes to your business structure and more, and, and just making sure everything is up to date there. Really great stuff from both of those guests here today on the show. Well, as we take a look at news headlines in agriculture, the EPA held a virtual hearing on the RFS set proposal on Tuesday, and it was attended by various folks throughout the ag and ethanol industry, the biofuel industry, with testimony. Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy, testified during the virtual hearing Tuesday, and in her remarks, she recommended that EPA approve a backlog of renewable fuel pathways and urge the agency to leave room in its final rule for the innovation taking place in the American biofuel fuels industry score said quote we are greatly encouraged by epa's strong set proposal with implied conventional biofuel volumes at 15 billion gallons for 2023 and increasing to 15.25 billion gallons For 2024-2025, SCORE said, Moving forward, our opportunities for growth across both conventional and advanced biofuels are linked, so it is important that the proposed volumes reflect industry growth and innovation. Specifically, we ask that EPA clear the backlog of pathway approvals for renewable fuels, including cellulosic biofuels from curdle fiber, advanced biofuels from corn oil produced at bioethanol wet mills, and bioethanol produced using carbon capture technologies, end quote. Other groups attended the virtual hearing. Tom Hagg, president of the National Corn Growers Association, said, quote, We support the growth trajectory in EPA's proposal, however, with continued pressure on energy security and costs and the need to accelerate carbon emission reductions, biofuels can contribute even more. We ask EPA to continue working with us on complementary policies that advance higher ethanol blends, enabling ethanol to do more to cut both emissions and costs, end quote. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, said, quote, overall, we believe the proposed set rule establishes a firm foundation for the future of the RFS and creates a pathway for sustainable growth in the production and use of low-carbon renewable fuels. Once finalized, the rule will further enhance our nation's energy security, reduce carbon emissions, and strengthen the rural economy, end quote. More comments coming in as well from Donna Rehagen with the Clean Fuels Alliance America, their CEO, saying, quote, the proposed rule significantly undercounts counts existing biomass-based diesel production and fails to provide growth for investments the industry has already made in additional capacity, including for sustainable aviation fuel, end quote. That's been an area that was contested that some folks were not happy about with the EPA's latest announcement on the renewable fuel standard at the end of the year in 2022. Also, uh, Brooke Coleman, Executive Director of the Advanced Biofuels Business Council, says, quote, we appreciate EPA's commitment to setting a multi-year RVO Curtailing small refiner exemptions and establishing reasonable growth across all categories of biofuel, EPA did leave some tools on the shelf for promoting innovation in the cellulosic biofuels industry and optimizing U.S. investment in this critical ultra low carbon liquid fuel sector. We look forward to working with EPA to maximize those opportunities in the final rule, end quote. So a lot to unpack there. Generally, folks happy with what EPA came up with in their final rule. Of course, uh, on the uh, biofuel side, the cellulosic biofuel side and biofuel um, aviation fuel, sustainable aviation fuel, some disappointment there that we're still watching as well. So a lot of things to consider and we're going to be watching this uh, closely here as this progresses, moving forward here into this year. As I'm sure we're going to have more talk about the EPA's latest uh, ruling on the Renewable Fuel Standard. Well, also here as we take a look at news headlines, more news coming out of the American Farm Bureau Federation convention in Puerto Rico. One thing is certain for farmers regarding the latest Waters of the U.S. final rule, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation more uncertainty. The rule comes as the Supreme Court will soon release a decision on a lawsuit against the previous version of the rule, the Sackett versus EPA case. AFBF Deputy General Counsel Travis Cushman says the new rule goes beyond the previous rule being challenged at the Supreme Court.
3: We were very disappointed to see the, uh, the rulemaking come out the way it did. Uh, if it feels into the oral arguments on October 3rd in the second case, it was very clear that the Supreme Court was very uncomfortable with a significant nexus test. Yet that's what this new rule does. It doubles down the significant nexus test and in some ways
0: makes it go even broader. So I think what this does is it creates more confusion on the farm fields
3: and it just it messes things up when we know that very soon the Supreme Court will be having a new guidelines for the agencies that are very different from what... EPA just now released.
0: However, Cushman says don't expect the Supreme Court decision to end the WOTUS debate once and for all. So the current case is not on this new rule. So I believe you'd probably need to
3: have a new challenge to that rule. And that's why they should not have put this rule out when they did.
0: And again, Cushman made his comments uh, during the opening press conference of the 2023 American Farm Bureau Federation annual convention in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Well, also, as we talk about the AFBF convention, NORDEF, the winner of the 2023 Farm Bureau Ag Innovation Challenge, they developed technology to produce diesel exhaust fluid at the point of use. NORDEF's William Wall says winning the competition will help his company reach the marketplace.
3: Just the awareness of our product and that we exist. That's been wonderful. But the money is also really nice. Uh, It's going to get us to production. We already have some prototype units out there. We're working with some universities in the Kansas City metro area helping us get through that product validation. And this $50,000 will get us to some commercialization.
0: Wall says the competition was a great learning experience for his company as well.
3: The competition process has been great. We got to spend some time with Cornell University and some professors who helped us strengthen our elevator pitch. But the exposure, again, the relationships, the networking has been wonderful, and we've gotten to meet a lot of great people who have only validated our idea and our business model.
0: Well, M Genesis Inc. was named runner up in the contest and received a total of $20,000. Finalist Michael Logic LLC won the People's Choice Award, and finalist Chop Local also competed in the final four. Walls encourages others to apply for the next competition. Farm Credit, Bayer Crop Science, John Deere, Farm Bureau Bank, and Farm Bureau Financial Services support the Ag Innovation Challenge, and AFBF is accepting applications now for the 2024 competition. You can learn more at FB.org forward slash challenge. Again, that's online fb.org forward slash challenge. Well, that is going to do it for the show here today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk markets with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for joining us here today on Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
3: Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.